Brooks Spector is on the line. Let's go to Brooks. Brooks, good evening. How are you doing? I'm all right. Yourself? I'm down in scenic Cape Town. You're in scenic Cape Town, you lucky fish. Uh, I think, you know who I ran into during the course of the week out of interest? Uh, A common friend of ours, a certain Mr. Branko. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah he was supposed to be here and he's not you know <laughs> no i came across him purely by accident i mean it was lovely to see the guy after after quite some time um mm-hmm. and yeah so he told me no he's he's uh busy getting ready for one or two events one of them being uh the the daily mavericks gathering uh which is happening yeah, in cape town i'm, I'm jealous i'm very yeah, jealous next early next month yeah, yeah, I'm very jealous. In fact, uh, you know, and and, and um, I I can't even beg for a ticket for a free ticket because uh, I'll be very very busy at that time of the year. But l- nonetheless, mate, let's jump straight into it. I mean, I, I read your piece, sure. the four ages of the clerk, sort of mirroring uh, mirroring the four the seven ages of 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 mankind or of man. Um, and um, yeah. As you said, it seems to be a bit of a waste because uh, if you look at uh, F.W. Leclerc from an analytical perspective, the man is not a hero, but at the same time, he's not also the ultimate villain. But guess what? He's gone and cast himself as the ultimate villain because he has literally told this country and the world that he didn't recognize uh, apartheid as a crime against humanity. Yeah, I mean, it was a curious... I mean, I was watching his career uh, since before many of your listeners are, were born, I guess. Including myself. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I, I, you know, I first learned about him, really, back in 1975, 76, mm. uh, when the, the, the American embassy, I used to work for them, as, as, as you know, and many of your listeners do. You know, we have a yearly meeting, and we determine who is going to get invited for short-term visits to the U.S. to look at things that they may be interested in. You know, mm. It's not a it's not a protocol visit. It's a what are your what are your professional and personal interests, and let's see if we can't make a month of your travel worth that. And somewhat one of the people in the embassy uh, that followed political events had nominated him for one of these grants. And in the fullness of my 20, 25 years of age. I, I on the committee. I said, "Wait a minute! Here's this this guy. He's a he's a, a member of parliament from this arch conservative district in Ferenking. Uh He was, which a, is my hometown, by the way. Well, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Another um, interesting factoid about me. Yeah, I'm from, and I knew that F. W. De Klerk actually hailed from from Ferenking. Yeah. And I mean, he had this lineage uh, through through his family that mm, was. Mm. Uh, you know, it, not royalty, but certainly uh, Afrikaner nobility mm. uh, within within government and and society. Uh, and he, he'd been to law school, and he went to uh, then Potchefstroom University, and he was part of a Dopper Church. And that means guy couldn't even dance at a school function for them. Mm-hmm. So that's that's conservative, right? That's seriously and conservative, I, yeah. And so that he gets nominated, and my argument was, wait a minute, this is this is a guy who uh, who is so rooted in in that that what in the world could a trip anywhere have any impact on him? I mm-hmm. mean, this, this man won't change. Now, the good news is I was wrong, and the and the better news is that people uh, voted for him, and not my view. Uh, and so he went to the U.S. Mm, and, mm. 
in, it, it took a while, apparently, but it was ticking away inside his mind, and as he became uh, in that sort of semi-coup, uh, the state president in eight, 1989, uh, there, he did an interview with the New York Times Magazine, and he, he said, when I went to the U.S., it began to make me think about race relations and how they must be managed, developed, changed, built on, all those kinds of things. Now, or you could argue it took him a heck of a long time to get to that conclusion, but he did, and uh, made uh, political moves mm. uh, from 1989 to 1990 that shocked a lot of people. I mean, I didn't, I certainly didn't expect uh, that speech in in February of 1990 to be what it was in there. And I just about did a glass in half when I listened to it. And uh, so that's age number two, right? And then by... Yeah. By going through the negotiation process and getting the Nobel Prize uh, and all the rest of that, uh, he was, if not the toast of the world, there was a lot of recognition that, all right, he was a man who had had his, his Damascene conversion, seen the light, moved forward, changed oh, things. Oh. Was he a perfect person? No. Had he been in any way, shape, or form in opposition in when he was in the government, because he was a minister of national education for years and years, mm -hmm. did, he do, did he do anything to change the government? Well, no, he didn't. Mm. Um, but in that third age, he did something. Um, you know, he... You know, he took the bit in his teeth and and made and did the steps, and it got him uh, the recognition that that came along. And then he went off into his retirement, mm, right? mm. and you, you would you would have thought that he'd be, you know, playing with grandchildren or collecting postage stamps or uh, writing his memoirs. Um, Basically, staying out of sight and quiet for for yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It, job job is done. Fine, move on. Think deep thoughts, and you know, do something else. Mm, mm. And then then suddenly, out of nowhere, comes this message that we all saw, in which he was um, shocked and horrified that somebody would 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 dare uh, question his judgment about the nature, the legal international legal nature of the apartheid system. Mm, mm. And that, that really is act number four for him, right? And now uh, it's all, it ha if it hasn't gone to ashes, it's pretty close. So let's let's just quickly have a quick uh, chat about that. I mean, and, and thanks for giving us a breakdown of those four ages and, and why uh, those particular contexts matter. Because ultimately, I, I think that what we tend to do as South Africans is that we really think along black and white lines. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is that you're either good or e good or evil. That's that's it. There's yeah. no um, complex. Yeah, there's no complex humanity at stake here. But but the difficulty that I always have with F.W. de Klerk and, and when he does come up in conversation, um, and in particular uh, around what happened between 1990 and 1994, I always tell people, and I'm one of those people that remains adamant, that the guy had one of two choices. He could have done what P.W. Boeta did. Um, and in simple Afrikaans, we call it being hardegat. And ultimately, you just do as you please and you stick to your guns and apartheid will uh, remain no matter what the rest of the world or the country thinks or feels. 
Um, and then you have FW Leclerc on the other side that, that you know, had the option of, of keeping the likes of, uh, uh, you know, Mr. Nelson Mandela, um, you know, um, the, Walter Sisulu and the rest of, of uh, that particular political echelon in prison and banning the, uh, the, the ANC as well as the PAC. But instead, he said, yeah, you guys can go. But then... Between 1990 and 1994, we see the third force. We see, um, uh, you know, uh, the, the violence, the wholesale violence that we saw in our townships being enacted by the National Party as well. And yes, there was black-on-black violence, but more importantly, that black-on-black violence was all too often sponsored by the Nets. So on that basis, I mean, where are we with this guy? Um, you know, how then do we turn around and, and say that, listen, that this is actually someone uh, who aided in getting us to this particular point in our democracy, just out of interest? Yeah, I mean, it, well, it really, it, it, it points to the, the many-sidedness of human nature in a way. Mm. Uh, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Nobody is all entirely evil, despite what, you know, what, what the juvenile novels will tell us. Uh, I mean, Professor Moriarty is a really horrible person, and Sherlock Holmes, uh, you know, chases mm. him. But Holmes has his difficulties with adjustment, too. Mm. Um, now, I mean, you know, the, I, I gather, and the people I've talked to and the things that I've read, um, that somewhere around the the late 1980s, the, the old apartheid government, they suddenly realized uh, well, I've got this fellow, Nelson Mandela, in prison. Now, what are we going to do if he dies in prison? Mm. You know, then what do we do? Now, you know, not only we don't have anybody we know of we can talk to and negotiate, but just think of the social repercussions and the political chaos that will, that will happen when news gets out, which it inevitably will. And I... I I read a speech by F.W. De Klerk, and I refer to it in the article that he'd given at something that used to be called the Diplomatic Forum. Mm. That was uh, it was a bi-monthly uh, talk that they had, or a quarterly talk that they had at the at the old Randolph-Ranzi University before it became U- University of Johannesburg. Mm. And he said that he and maybe a, several of his folks who he saw eye to eye with, they began to realize. That, yeah, they could they could hang on. I mean, the military was still strong. The police mm-hmm. had uh, had things under. Now it was costing them a fortune, and the economy was in something of a tailspin. And foreign banks were increasingly reluctant to advance any any more uh, sovereign loans. And the opprobrium of the world uh, was fairly resolute. Mm. But they began to realize that, huh. If we keep this up, what kind of a what kind of a place do we hand off to our children? And that seems to have been, at least in the clerk's telling of it, mm-hmm. that was one of the key switches in his own mind. I, you know, I can't I can't swear that that's true, but because that is, after all, after the fact explanation. But he did say it, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm willing to believe that that was part of what was going on in his mind, that they had had, a, you know, they in, in, in their quarter had had a good life. And now they realized that what they were going to hand off to the next generation is not going to be nearly as good. So, so ultimately what we're seeing here, Brooks, um, in, in short, it, it was, a, he, he's, he was a pragmatist. He was someone that saw that, listen, the system is not going to last. 
at some stage it's going to crumble. Um, and the best thing to do is to reverse it. And I guess that's why we didn't see the wholesale changes that we saw post-1994, new constitution, um, you know, and, and, and the, the, the ultimate death of apartheid. And a lot of people would say a lot more should have been done. And yes, maybe. Uh, or subsequent to 1994, a lot more should have been done. But the point is, is that it's not as if uh, the society, the equal and fair society that we live in right now is the society that existed between 1990 and 1994. Um, it was still, uh, you know, there was still a shadow. There was still a ha- hangover uh, somewhat of apartheid at the very minimum under um, F.W. de Klerk's watch. And ultimately, what that then in my mind paints is, is the image of a man that was a pragmatist. He saw that if we continued along the path of wholesale apartheid, say circa 1976, uh, that eventually would end up with nothing else but ashes. However, it didn't mean that this guy was uh, saying that he is he, going to liberate everyone and that he was going to be uh, our personal, he was going to be the ultimate Nelson Mandela. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think there's anything in his personal record or any of the things that I've read written by him mm, mm. or any of the speeches I have heard or any of the people I've talked to who said that he was an idealist. Yeah, I don't think yeah. that's. I don't think that was in his makeup. Mm, mm. Um, I, I I think that he really was a realist, and uh, that it was. You know, after all, what happened in you know between nineteen ninety and ninety four was not a victory. It was a negotiated settlement. Yeah, now, you can argue whether that should have been done that way, and I, I have. I've talked to people. Uh, who said, you know, it might have been good for morale if a couple of, of, of the top dogs had actually been uh, put to trial and uh, put to prison, sent off to St. Helena, or, or uh, it might have done everybody a world of good. Now, yeah. you know, I, I, you know that vengeance is, 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 a, is a terrible thing. Um, but what you got here was a negotiated settlement, mm. partly because as as people will in their unguarded and honest moments at two in the morning, they mm. will admit to you that the liberation forces were not going to win a victory in the battlefield anytime soon. No, I hear you. I hear you. And it's a conversation that happens all the time, actually, as you said, behind very closed doors. But listen, mate, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much. Brooks, as you know, I could chat to you all night long about this stuff and, and try to analyze it some more. But let's leave it at that. I think that you and I both agree that ultimately he was a pragmatist. He was someone that, uh, you know, uh, made the not I, I don't know how to put it, but he made a pragmatic decision. Um, he knew he that if he continued. He yeah, he made a deal. You know, if you continue with apartheid in, in the form that it had taken uh, before that, uh, this country was going to be nothing but ashes. But at the very same time, you know, he wasn't sort of the king of liberation. But uh, as you said, you know, we, I think that unfortunately as South Africans, we tend to look at things through the lens of either good guy or bad guy and nothing in between. There's no complexity to, to the human character uh, that we take into account. But thank you so much. All the best to you. And it's a pleasure anytime. Thanks, mate. Thanks. That was Brooke Spector uh, on the line with us uh, talking about the very interesting and, dare I say, complicated legacy of F.W. de Klerk. And-